Hello and welcome to episode 98 of the Batflip Crazy podcast, where you'll always find enthusiastic, data-driven fantasy baseball analysis and strategy. I am your host, Toby. Today, I've got an incredibly special episode for all of you, live from Maui. I have an interview with Alex Chamberlain of Rotographs, one of the leading fantasy baseball research researchers in our industry. Uh, Alex was very kind to host me at his place in Maui while I'm vacationing here with my family. Uh, and it was great to uh, have a chance to chat with him, get to know him a little bit better, and, and talk a little bit uh, about baseball. And by a little bit, I mean uh, a lot about baseball. We've got about an hour and a half of, uh, of audio of our conversation, and it was it was really a blast. It was a real treat to talk to Alex. We covered a ton of ground in our conversation, uh, and it was a lot of fun. The, among the topics we discussed, uh, he's got a new article out on Rotographs today where he introduces a new metric called Deserved Barrel Rate. We talked about his, pitcher, uh, his pitch leaderboard tool that he developed for pitchers, and we have a, a little bit of breaking news about a possible uh, companion site that will be a batter pitch leaderboard which should be really cool and we also talked with him about how he identifies and evaluates pitchers hitters and prospects and the episode uh, also features and this is huge it also features potentially the first ever literal cat fight two cats fighting ever on a fantasy baseball podcast that's right alex's cats katsu and Luna got into a fight in the middle of our podcast. I'm pretty sure that's because they disagreed with some of the conversation that we were having, or they uh, maybe were a little bit jealous uh, of the attention the microphone was getting and that they weren't getting. But either way, uh, we have an actual two cats fighting live, the audio of that uh, on the podcast. So if you're not here for the fantasy baseball, if you're not here for... Uh, learning a ton from Alex uh, about fantasy baseball, then definitely listen uh, at least for Two Cats Fighting. You can find uh, Alex on Twitter at Dolph Haldhagen. That's at D-O-L-P-H-H-A-U-L-D-H-A-G-E-N. You can find that in the show notes as well. And as I mentioned, he writes for Rotographs, um, and he also... Uh, wrote this year for CBS Sportsline. Just a slight heads up that the audio for the first half of the podcast is a little bit tough. There's a little bit of a volume difference between myself and Alex. Uh, I apologize for this. We recorded it on a single uh, microphone uh, on his kitchen table, and uh, and so I don't think it's too much of a deterrent for enjoying uh, the quality uh, baseball conversations that we did have, but just, just wanted to give folks uh, a little bit of a head up heads up on that. Uh, all right, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at BatFlipCrazy, but you probably already know that if you're listening to the podcast. Uh, either way, uh, sit back uh, and enjoy the interview with Alex Chamberlain. Let's get this party started. All right, uh, today's podcast, we are joined by Alex Chamberlain live from Maui. That's right. You guys are getting a live show from the island of Maui in Hawaii. Uh, pretty awesome. How you doing today, Alex? I'm good. Uh, 
Yeah, sitting across from a Twitter stranger slash friend watching the game one of the World Series. Ate a late Thai food lunch uh, and got off work early to do this with you, man. It's fun. Definitely. And and the two guests that you probably won't hear or you might hear on the show are Luna and Katsu, who are Alex's two cats uh, that are very interested in the podcasting equipment. And so you may hear a meow or two. Um, but i um, really excited and really glad that uh, we could make this work. My family is on vacation in Maui for a little bit, celebrating my mother-in-law's 70th birthday. And I get a chance to get away from the kids, the three-year-old and the six-year-old, for a little while to talk a little baseball with Alex. So, um, Alex, uh, for folks who uh, aren't familiar with your work, they all should be. Uh, but can you just give yourself a little bit of an intro and uh, where they can find your work? Yeah. Um, so, hi. My name's Alex. Uh, last name is Chamberlain. I write at uh, Fangraphs, specifically under the Rotographs banner, which is the, the fantasy section of Fangraphs. Um, my Twitter handle is Dolph Haldhagen, um, and I'm always reluctant to spell it just cause like, you know, whatever. I mean, it just is what it is. Um, if you're determined to find me, you'll find me. Um, and we'll <laughs> just leave it at that. Um, and yeah, I, I wrote at CBS Sportsline this year for the first time and I've written other places too, but right now it's just fan graphs. Definitely. And uh, for folks who are not following Alex, definitely, uh, definitely do that because he is one of, if not uh, the leading researchers in fantasy baseball and a very smart dude. He's also modest, so he's not going to tell you that about himself, uh, but it is most certainly Flattering true. Me. Flattering. <laughs> um, and can you share a little bit about some of the, just some of the tools that you've, that you've developed, which I think are really um, helpful for folks, just a, a quick, uh, uh, not an intro into them, but just a, a couple of the things that you put together. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, like, so when I first started writing, I was super into, well, I don't know if you're familiar with Mike Podhorzer. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, so, like, Mike Podhorzer was, like, the guy that I, like, kind of wanted to emulate at first when I first started writing, like, you know, five or six years ago or whatever. And he did, like, the expected metrics, like, back in the day. Like, before we even had, like, hard hit rate and pull rate, um, he was doing, like, expected strikeout rate for hitters and pitchers and all that stuff. So, like, that was the stuff that I was super interested in as a fantasy player. Um, so when I first started writing, I was doing stuff like that. I think, like, one of the first things I did was something, like, it was called X-ISO. Mm. Um, so it was expected isolated power, but that was using... When we first got it, it was when we first got um, pull rate, hard hit rate, and fly ball rate. I put those all in equation to kind of, like predict so to speak of a player's power and it was really good it was um you know for, for for what it was at the time like before we had anything fancy you know totally it's it kind cool. it's kind of nuts how, how quickly like yeah yeah, yeah. I, know. I look back at stuff from like 2015 and i'm like oh that's so bad but you have to like remember it it's like watching an old movie yeah you know like just totally. like there's just a different expectation and different tools at their disposal and just like you you have to have that context and like i I'm going to beat myself up all the time if I look at 2015 plus and be like, oh, it's so bad. That's such yeah. a bad post. Just, um, just read the comments. They'll probably be even oh worse, God, so that'll yeah. make you feel better. Well, I used to do I used to do National League outfield rankings when I first got to, like, that's what Eno had me do. It was, like, my one post, like, one of my posts per month had to be the rankings, and those were, like, the bane of my, my existence because, mm-hmm. like, no one was ever, ever happy about those. But anyway, I, um, I also, at the beginning of this year, made the pitch leaderboard which is kind of like a Fangraphs leaderboard type thing, but specifically for individual pitches. So, like, if you wanted to look up, or, like, I guess if you wanted to have, like, a leaderboard of only fastballs, 
or only sliders or all pitches, um, and their their you know their metrics associated with them, such as woba or swinging strike rate or FIP or whatever. Um, I made a big leaderboard for that using Statcast data, and that was something I've been wanting to do since like the 2018 season. Cool. So I'm finally glad I got to do that. And then like literally today, I posted something about um, deserved barrel rate, which is yeah. I imagine that we're going to talk about that. At some yeah, point. yeah, so yeah. I won't, I won't spoil it, but those are those are you know probably my my bigger uh, tool based contributions, I guess. Yeah, well, that's that's actually a great segue because that is first up on the. Uh, on the agenda, you will not believe it. We did not plan this, but today's <laughs> podcast is being recorded on the day that Alex released um, "Deserved Barrels." Um, it's a metric. There's an article up on Fangraphs, which I highly recommend that you uh, that you read. And I know Alex was really excited about uh, releasing uh, this metric. So, for for folks who who haven't had a chance to read the article, and even for folks who have. Can you talk a little bit about um, about what the metric is and then what are some of the applications it has in in the context of fantasy baseball? Sure. So, oh, gets through. <laughs> there's, there's, a, there's, there's a rally going on right now. Uh, the, the Nats are uh, are on the move. Uh, uh, no, that was Robles? Yeah. That is Robles, yeah. Um, okay. better, better offensively than defensively yeah, so well, far you, this game. Yeah, but you should have seen that hit was very Robles-esque, so <laughs> that, that makes more sense. Um <laughs> so uh yeah so i um so i kind of elucidate this in the um in the post but i was actually talking to eno saris which i'm sure pretty much everyone listening to this knows about um and he and i were chatting at the <clears throat> excuse me at the um the sports bar across from the hotel and he was talking to me that he was surprised that <clears throat> excuse me that uh that barrel rate was like a better predictor or descriptor i, I mean probably both of power than just exit velocity alone. And I was talking to him and telling him that like, it, it makes sense to me because you're basically a barrel is you're, you're taking a player's best exit velocities and then just slapping the best launching angles on it. Like it's basically like selection bias a little mm. bit, you know, like average exit velocities, the good and the bad and barrel is like specifically everything good in one thing, but it is, it is specifically the combination of including the, the launch angle, uh, kind of context <clears throat> to the exit velocity so um, I kind of pondered on that a little more and I decided like there's got to be a way to like you know someone who's smarter than me like a better statistician could have could could do this better than I could but like that's be a, that's not true there's <laughs> no such thing there's got to be there's got to be a, a a way to incorporate both and be able to like come up with some kind of like deserved barrel rate like exactly what it's called right mm. like I just want to see like what what each player deserved in terms of barrel rate just based on their average exit velocity and their average launch angle. And I devised a, a regression formula, which, you know, we don't have to go into the nitty gritty of it, but it it has a high explanatory power. Mm. Um, and um, it had some, like, really compelling results, like, just on first glance, like, seeing... Uh, we were talking about this earlier, but yeah. seeing Aaron Judge's 2017 season when he hit, uh, what was it, like, 52 home runs, um, and seeing that he, he outperformed his his barrel rate by, like, five or six percentage points, and then in the next year <clears throat> fell back to earth while, you know, like, the, the deserved barrel rate from year to year is about 20%. Like, it's, it was pretty stable, but, like, from 2017 to 2018 went from, like, 25 to 18%. So, like, you can see the big swing, but you can see the stability underlying 
everything else when you're looking at it from a deserved, a quote-unquote deserved standpoint. And I thought the the judge kind of anecdote was really illuminating because we didn't have any previous, you know, data about him. Mm-hmm. Like we have minor league track record. We know that he's gigantic. <laughs> you know, like we have. He's like, big. A, he's we big have all for the sure. Qualitative stuff, you know, but like we there's no there's no track record like major league track record oh wow hey hey wow this is a perfect timing there's 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 a there's a fight of the cats that has just happened on the podcast this may be the first time in the history of a fantasy baseball podcast that a that a that that cats have fought and are fighting unreal (laughs) so like i i work from home and this happens like Probably once a week, my cats are liable to interrupt like an important phone call with like screaming from the other room because my cats are fighting. So. They're they're like, who's this dude in the living room who brought a microphone and is just like <sighs> hanging out at our house right now? Unbelievable! Um, it's a, it's all right. It makes for good podcasting for Th- sure. Does it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> is he oh. like screaming in the background? Oh. Like, oh my god! For folks yeah. who are listening to this, if you could just re- reply to the to the podcast and just let folks know that you enjoyed the fact that the um, I mean, we're we're a peaceful. Podcast podcast but that there was a little bit of um some cats fighting in the background i think that that's great um you were talking about deserved barrel rate and i think what's what we we talked about this a little bit before is like we think about home runs is like you know uh we think about home runs and, and regression when it comes to home runs but we don't necessarily think about it as maybe some of the underlying skills that point to that and right. i think that's where um you know the the judge piece is really um is really interesting and the example and the way you laid it out i thought was was super helpful in showing what was uh, what was going on. Yeah, I think I think that was the part that like really struck me too. Is like I was trying to do something that focused specifically on like the raw skills, like the raw skills being um, like the ac- the exit velocity and the launching. Because like at a certain point, like everything that happens is like some kind of outcome, and it depends on like there's like yeah. there's so many different versions yeah. of like an outcome, like a, like the end of a pitch is an outcome, and like <clears throat> putting the ball in play is one kind of outcome, but then like whether it's an, a hit or an out is another kind of outcome. And there's just so many different like endpoints for this kind of analysis. And, and exit velocity and launch angle are not outcomes; they're like exclusively just kind of descriptions mm. of what happened. And like I think it just it kind of like boils it down in a different way than like anything else that we have in terms of like any kind of expected home run metric or you know I don't know. I mean. Uh, you know, it, I'm not saying that it's necessarily better or worse than anything else, but I think in terms of like trying to get to the core of it, like just only using skills, yeah, and not using <clears throat> not using other outcomes to describe other outcomes, but in strictly using skills to describe an outcome, I feel like this is a good step in that direction. Yeah, it's awesome, and we, and we were talking a little bit about one of the guys who also showed up as um, being uh, on the on the side of deserved barrels that you don't want to be on, which is kind of overperforming barrels. Obviously, overperforming barrels in and of itself is not a bad thing, but it, that points towards some possible regression for next year, and that is that is Pete Alonzo. And I think this is a good example of maybe where the application of deserved barrels comes into play from a fantasy baseball perspective. Like you gave the example of Aaron Judge, but maybe with Pete Alonzo, like you know, he hit a ton of home runs this year. He's got a ton of power. His stat cats metrics are off the charts, but maybe there was a little bit of luck in there too. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Yeah. No, I think, I think the fact that judge was like the, the first name that showed up the first time is like, so telling because his narrative is like almost identical to Alonzo. Like first, like literally rookie year sets a home run record, you know, 
we know that he has like 70 or 80 grade raw power, whatever. And Pete Alonso is basically the same thing. I mean, we're talking about rookie year, home run record, light tower power, no track record. Um, it's almost like we're watching it happen all over again. And so I, I, I want to like, I want to establish the caveat that there are players who I notice just kind of like quickly looking at it consistently overperform. Mike Trout consistently overperforms, but like, so then you have to ask yourself like, okay, is, is Pete Alonso the caliber of hitter of Mike Trout? Yeah. Realistically, probably not. You know, I, like Mike Trout's in a league of his own. I, I bet like a Juan Soto type could probably be a guy who overperforms just because he has just such absurd control of like basically everything that's going on. And I, I don't think that Alonso isn't like that, but his his style of game is just fundamentally different. Hmm. Um, in terms of like just the you know it's it's kind of a hacky approach. You know, he's not like a high contact, high power guy. He's a little bit of like a low contact, high power guy. Um, and I, I, so anyway, I think um, just kind of using the the judge example is is so is so um, pertinent to this 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 example of Alonzo also because it's like two threads running parallel. And I think there's an opportunity that or a possibility that Alonzo overperforms again, and that's fine, and I can take the L for that. But I think like you know we can if there's a chance to like specifically measure how much he overperformed by, that's like a pretty good opportunity that we should try to. Definitely. Yeah, well, I mean, I think in the context of Alonzo, too, one of the reasons why he was so great this year is because where you got him in drafts, right? Like his ADP was around 250, I think, um, in a lot of drafts last year, maybe a little bit uh, ahead of that. But this year, you know, he's been going in the second, the third round. And so having this type of data where we can look and say, you know, there's no doubt Alonzo is powerful and he's one of the biggest power bats in the game. But when you combine the fact that maybe he outperformed his barrel rate a little bit, um, that that might result in a little bit of home run regression and the fact that we may see the ball um, dejuiced a little bit heading into next year, that's another kind of hit against him. So if you are buying into a power only a bat, um, especially one that hits a decent amount of fly balls, right now the, uh, the Nationals are kind of tearing it up right now against Garrett Cole. Wow. Uh, it is now five to two, um, nationals. Um, who was that? Uh, that oh, was Soto. Soto. <laughs> He's so good. Oh man, the Nats are gonna win this. That, was, off, that was also Oppo. I mean, he's just like, God, his all field. He's, uh, he's unbelievable. Bananas. Yeah. Um, you know, so like when you factor in all those pieces and the price for Alonzo, the question is like, you know, that gives us another data point that points to, uh, maybe not. And then, like I was saying, with a high fly ball approach. A lot of those balls, if they're not home runs, maybe some of them fall for doubles. A lot of them may fall for outs. And then you're looking at kind of the floor for his batting average. So um, I think, you know, a really a really awesome article. I suggest everybody go and read it over at Rotographs. And then if you could also just hype up just a little bit, you and Al Melkier um, did an article last year where you guys looked at the predictive quality of different StatCast metrics and could you share a little bit about what you found when it came to barrels and just um, also just to give a little plug for that article so folks are interested, they can check that yeah, out. Yeah, let me pull it up because, like, honestly, sometimes I forget the results myself. Like, when, when Eno and I were talking about it in the bar, I was like, you know, that sounds familiar, honestly, but, like, I can't remember exactly what we found, so let me just pull it up again. Uh, it definitely... I, I, have it, I have it conditioned in my, in my memory forever. Barrel it's rate. barrels per batted ball event is the most predictive, I think. Yeah. And then barrels per plate appearance is like, second most predictive, but very close. Yeah, they're almost they're almost identical. They're, yeah. they're truly, I would say they're interchangeable. Um, mm. Yeah, so like, so we, 
we correlated, and this is just for 2018 stats, but we correlated, um, like, so many of the the, the commonplace, uh, you know, whatever you want to call commonplace um, stat cast metrics with, like, the traditional ones in the sense of home run per fly ball rate, isolated power, and the original hard hit rate. So that's, like, the Fangraphs one, not the, not the stat cast one. Um, the top results were barrels. Um, close behind it was average fly ball distance. Mm. Um and like these are like varying degrees. Like the top four are all really close. So if you wanted to use barrels, whether that's as a percentage of batted ball events or plate appearances, um, or average fly ball distance, or uh, fly ball slash line drive exit velocity, like those are all really strong, strong uh, correlates with power. Hmm. It starts to fall off a little bit with max distance, um, average exit velocity overall, max exit velocity overall. And then kind of falls off again with overall average distance, overall, or I'm not sorry, uh, average home run distance, um, hard hit rate, which is I think 95 mile per hour plus on Statcast. Mm-hmm. So those are the same thing I think. That one's pretty low. And then exit velocity on ground balls, not really surprised. That's not <laughs> that's not very good because you don't hit home runs on ground balls. So definitely. Um, but the the main takeaway is um, barrels. Again, barrels is probably your best bet. There's some there's there's some that are really close, but. Um, you know that that just makes today's post that I that I published a little more relevant as well. Yeah, definitely. And then um, you know you may think that there's some of the stats that I throw out there are kind of random, but it's research like the stuff that Alex is doing. Like the reason why oftentimes if I'm if I'm putting up a tweet about a player and how they're performing, even over a, sh- a small sample size, one of the reasons why I do include. Um, barrels in there is because it does have some uh, predictive value, right? You, you know, it's a small sample size that I'm often looking at, but like it's research like this that kind of determines what what numbers you really should be looking at for next year, right? If we know that barrels are predictive, like looking at a guy's barrels r- barrel rate this year is certainly a good place uh, to start when thinking about power metrics. Um, so uh, you talked a little bit about like having the having an approach that's super that's skill-based. Like one of the reasons why you love the deserve, deserve barrel is because of the, the focus on kind of skills as opposed to outcomes. And so that's one of the reasons why we, um, while I don't own the shirt that says process over out, uh, over results, yeah. uh, like I really should, uh, we like to focus on process on the podcast. And so you really are one of the folks who's leading um, a lot of the fantasy baseball specific research and doing a great job of it. So I would really love to learn, and I think folks who listen to the podcast would learn to love would love to learn. Um, uh, you know, what is the process that you use for identifying, evaluating players? So let's say like you know you're at this point in the season, you're doing your research, you want to figure out, okay, is this guy real? Is this guy not real? Um, or even in the midseason, like what are some of the tools that you're using? What are some of the uh, the skills or the stats that you're looking at um, yeah. in particular? Yeah, I mean, so one of the things that I like to do, which, uh, you know, one of the things I like to do is a thing that you do a lot, uh, which is look at... Role. I paid him to say that. <laughs> yes, under the table. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, is look at the rolling graphs. And, um, and I, I don't, you know, I don't have like a specific like date range or threshold or anything like that. Um, But I'm always looking to see like when in those trends they begin to like deviate substantially from Mm -hmm. anything in the past because like, you know, it could be an outlier. It could be just, you know, he happens to be making more contact than ever in this 30, 40, 50 game range or whatever. But it also, you know, the longer that date range gets, 
and the farther it gets from his norm or his his normal like you know up and down trend line mm -hmm. the more you have to like take notice of that you know so like that's definitely something i do um in terms of like i mean mid-season stuff is always hard to to be you have to be kind of vigilant in in finding the guys who are making mid-season changes or you know something's happening like you darvish this year like you yeah. had to have been paying attention and you had to have been digging in deeply to find out what was causing his resurgence and if resurgence and if it was legitimate and like mm -hmm. i i i wrote that post in june i was super into it you know he was the third best pitcher from July, june 15th onward one of those kinds of things but taking a step back ultimately like the longer i do this the more inclined i am to try to simplify things mm. you know like if i look at a pitcher like i still use fip and xfip and sierra and swinging strike rate when i look at a hitter i still look at like x woba and babip and things like that and i supplement it like i you, you supplement it with the more interesting or obscure stats but like you know those 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 kind of accomplished like a lot of the explanatory power that we already have mm -hmm. and a lot of stuff, a lot of the stuff that's being added is kind of just like small incremental uh, you know like small incremental growth to something that we already had so like there's nothing wrong with using sierra and there's some things that might be a little bit better but like they they do so well on their own mm -hmm. um it's part of the reason why they've been so successful and so widely used throughout the years is just like they're good they're already good and they're not like super fancy you know, so, like, I, I, I'm I, not, like, gonna go pretend like I'm using only the most complicated stuff. I definitely, <laughs> like, I definitely just start with the basics and then, like, I just kind of, like, find the guys who kind of, like, pique my interest, you know? Yeah. And I, I do the stuff that you do, I think. You know, I look, for, I'm always looking for, like, interesting pitches and, like, you know, I'll, I'll go on those, those, those deep dives every now and then. But, like, generally speaking, like, I, I'm, I, I don't have all the time in the world, you know? Like, I, I can't be constantly looking for the guy who's going to be breaking out or turning a corner so i'm I, you have to use shorthand metrics to to kind of to to kind of help you unless you're unless you do truly have all the time in the world that i <laughs> you know a lot of us work uh full-time jobs whatever you know we're, we're we're busy people so I, i'm using all the help i can get in terms of being able to make like you know not necessarily snap decisions but being able to to simplify my own process yeah. So I don't know if that was a worthwhile answer. But. Yeah, no, no, no. Well, and I think it goes back to something that we were talking about. We were joking about how we should have been recording when we were just like chatting baseball on the <laughs> couch here. Not that we're, you know, we may be the two most interesting people in the world to talk about fantasy baseball uh, or baseball in general, but we were just saying how we should record it because we're talking about projections and like the more we do this, the more we <clears throat> rely on existing projection systems instead of trying to do our own, number one, because like just from an efficiency standpoint, like if I'm doing my own projections, I'm spending a lot of time doing that, maybe for minimal gain versus doing other research. But like if it works for 90% of the players, that's great. And then we identify some of the players that maybe it doesn't work for and we try to figure out why it's exactly that is um you gave the example of you darvish so and you gave an example of some of the metrics that you used but just using that as an example so for instance for a pitcher like you are where are you when you see like oh my god you darvish is kind of jumping out whether it was sierra or xfip like mm -hmm. uh what tools were you using to see that you know um and then like what was kind of the progression or like the thought process like oh this is a good Sierra, like, where do I go from here? Yeah, so, I mean, for Darvish, I, I think, like, of course, there's never, like, a, a blanket answer for everyone, but for Darvish, like, 
just kind of having the encyclopedic knowledge of players is really helpful. Not like that's a helpful thing to tell people, but like it, in terms of like overall process. Before I answer the question, like in terms of overall process, mm. I fully, I firmly believe in like developing an opinion about everyone or mm. nearly everyone, nearly everyone who's like relevant, you know. Mm. Um, because you'll get to Mike any, Talkman, for instance, right? The most important player in baseball. Yeah. Um, because you'll get into a draft and you'll be forced to make a decision about a guy you know things about and you, a guy you don't know things about. Mm. And you're gonna probably like pick the guy you know things about, and that might be a disservice to you because maybe the guy you didn't do as much research on is the better player, and that you would have found that out if you'd just done the research. So like. Mm. I don't think you should be like doing a deep dive on everyone, but I think like having a cursory knowledge of everyone is really important. So, getting to Darvish, like my my existing knowledge of Darvish is that he's walking like three, four, five, six guys a game for like the last year and a half, you know. And then all of a sudden, he goes like two or three straight starts without walking anyone, which arguably has never happened to him before. You know, like just thinking about his entire career as being like a high strikeout guy, but also a high walk guy. And then kind of like falling off the last couple of years. Seeing that with a lot of strikeouts was like, okay, there's definitely something happening here. Especially because he was like literally the worst strikeout to walk ratio of his whole career was mm. the beginning of 2019. And then how he has the best strikeout to walk ratio of his career in the end of 2019. So it was one of those things where it's like, okay, K minus BB is the is basically the metric. Love it, yeah. Here. So, you know, I see that and it's like, okay, got to figure out where this is coming from. And, you know, if I'm looking for a guy who's clean up his walk rate, I mean, like, that's that's always hard because that's a command thing. And we were talking about that earlier. Like, I'm not necessarily a good judge of command. And I, you know, as soon as I think some guy has cleaned up his command, he'll go walk four or five, six guys or whatever. You know, like, there, I always say that anything can happen in a game or even in a month. Like, anyone can have a good month. Mm. Even from, yeah. like, a skill standpoint, you know, yep. like some guy could have... 30 strikeouts. Asher Wojciechowski. Right. <laughs> right. Anyone can have like a really good month and you can be fooled by it. So like, you know, for me, like if I'm looking at a guy who cleaned up his walk rate, I'm probably going to go look at um, like his mechanics. Not not necessarily mechanics, but like the, the numbers describing the mechanics. So mm. like release point and those kinds of things. So I'm, again, I'm not like a big like scout guy. Like I can't visually see that. Like I never would have known. Mm. Um, but in looking at Darvish's mechanics, like, or in this in this case, I was looking at like release point and his extension. So mm. basically, like, at what point during his release he's releasing the ball, and there's a sharp break. Wouldn't you know it? There's a sharp break on June fifteenth, which was the first day that he stopped walking people. Hmm. And I was just like, I, you know, this could be it, and this could not be it. But like, this is this is interesting enough for me to be able to believe that this is like a very deliberate change, and not just something that happened to happen at the same time that he got good you know so like obviously a very different answer from someone who like maybe jack flaherty had like a pretty like obvious and like totally bananas second half i would have eva probably evaluated that really differently and for him especially for pitchers like probably going the first thing i would do is go to pitch mix mm -hmm. and i think you probably do the same thing as like as yeah. soon as a guy like it starts to be doing something different in terms of outcomes, I'm going to go to his process and see the and, and see if he's doing something different too. 
like Flaherty, for example, he started throwing his sinker a lot more, which is kind of bizarre. I know you're anti-sinker. I'm anti-sinker as well. Generally speaking, unless they're really good, right? Unless they're right. pitches that work for them. I think, um, and I, we don't have to go on a sinker tangent, but it's <laughs> it's the power sinker. So like, yeah. if, you, if you have velocity and you can throw a sinker, I think they can be really good. And that's just kind of like anecdotal. But like, when Archer was good, he had a power sinker. Yeah. And he doesn't anymore. And he sucks. And maybe it's more it's more to it than that. But like. I think, you know, Blake Trinan yeah. had a power sinker. You know, I think there's probably some merit to velocity in that regard. But anyway, I'll... Uh, no, no, no. Well, no, I think uh, exactly. And what, and what uh, resource do you normally use for looking at release point data? Do you use Savant? Do you look at Brooks ba- Baseball? Brooks do you Baseball look at... is really good because yeah. you can visualize it, you know? Like, Absolutely. As soon as you go to it, like, it, it shows you the lines. And yeah, yeah, I'm definitely... Brooks Baseball is really helpful. Um, I do so like on my pitch leaderboard thing. If I dare plug it again, I do have yeah. like I oh, do have. We're going to talk about it in a second too. I do have rolling release point. Um, oh so like really? There's a, there's a the second to last tab is rolling graph. I saw the rolling graph for the first time and I was using that. Like yeah, I'm not a yeah. very good like I'm not a very good you know spokesperson or whatever. Um, I actually don't have um, release point on here, but I do have like movement and spin rate and stuff so like you know kind of like proxies for Mm. mechanical stuff but like you know you could see how some guys like spin rates moving over time and like sometimes that's enough to know like something is different even if you don't know why he's throwing with more spin rate yeah i don't know garrett cole suddenly goes to the astros and has a better spin rate and then he gets into the world series and and starts blowing it right um yeah i don't know but yeah but but brooks is good because i i I love being able to visualize it because you can just see so clearly like when something happens in his release point or you know where he's where he's placing the ball in the zone or whatever. So Totally, yeah. And and Brooks Baseball, I would highly recommend it. Like, for the same reason, like, I trust their velocities, I think, the most uh, of, of anything. I don't know if you found the same, um, uh, the same thing. Like, they're generally close to what Fangraphs and... Um, and baseball savant uh, have on them, but I generally go there if I'm really interested in the minutia of velocity. Um, but I, I love uh, I love that as a resource just for pitching metrics overall. Mm-hmm. I did want to go back um, because uh, I think there's a couple things in there that I loved what you said. Uh, the first one is res around rolling average graphs. I think rolling average ga- graphs are like the most underutilized fantasy baseball tool. Mm-hmm. And I loved what you said about like does does what's happening uh, kind of align with the with the normal variance that that player has, right. even over a small sample size, <laughs> but even over longer sample sizes, right? Like the thing that I think about is um, uh, is when when certain uh, data points become more reliable, and that doesn't mean that it's necessarily like that they're going to hold that level, but just where the, I think it's the R squared becomes higher than 0.5. Yeah. Um, you know, if you do like a 40 game rolling average graph, that's a problem, approximately like 160 plate appearances, which is, which is right around where, where you would be able to see like those types of differences, mm-hmm. but you can even then go back to last season's last 40 games included and see right. kind of if there's any change from the variance. So I love that. And then I also love what you said about players later in the draft and like getting a read on everybody. I actually think that like this year, I'm going to try to focus more of my attention on players later on in drafts than I am on players earlier on in drafts because I think a lot with a lot of those guys right you look at the projections and generally speaking they're in line unless there's some sort of extreme right like a Chris Archer type or something like that but with some of those guys later on like looking for some of those changes that you mentioned looking for like whether it's a particularly good pitch that they have or a guy like what I'm obsessed with right now is a guy who is particularly um 
who with like maybe a couple ticks of velocity, like obviously, oh, anybody with a couple ticks of velocity would, would be great. But like, if you look back at Lucas Giolito, right? Before Giolito like was good, you know, two ticks of velocity did a ton. He still had a good changeup. He still had a good slider before that. But those two ticks of velocity made that fastball a good pitch in addition to the other ones. We might be able to talk about Giolito a little bit later because I know. But um, and then Blake Snell before then, he had a two mile per hour jump. Mike Clevenger had a two mile per hour jump. It's hard to see that. Like Jeff Zimmerman has a good uh, thing. But looking for guys who maybe already have two solid uh, breaking or off-speed pitches, at least from a metrics perspective, right, right. who could really gain from just a little bit of added velocity. I don't know yeah. if that makes sense to you. Like, oh yeah, it does. Yeah, 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 yeah. Definitely things of that nature for sure. I mean, I, I, I do kick myself over not being higher on Blake Snell, and that was always a command thing. But like he did, mm-hmm. even before he broke out, he had two of the best breaking balls in the game. Yeah, and that's a rare thing. I mean. Um, like Carlos Carrasco has two elite secondaries. Kenta Maeda has two elite secondaries, and there's really very few other pitchers who can say that. Uh, and Blake Snell, you know, at the time he was, uh, I guess, kind of like a former prospect, um, but he was basically what you're describing. Like he just is like one tweak away. And like that's so easy to say with so many other guys, but I think that narrative kind of gets obscured because we hear about guys who are one tweak away, but really like it's truly more than just one tweak. And I think yeah. it gets I think it gets obscured or like kind of like uh, like construed as one, but it's truly like several steps. Whereas truly like for for Blake Snell, like if he could if he could just walk eight percent of guys and not twelve, um, which is a lot to ask, but if he could do that, like he has such a, a filthy arsenal that he would become elite and he did yeah um so yeah but i i i think i agree with you i mean i i so the the one nfbc league i won last year my first two of my first three picks were jose ramirez and carlos carrasco which mm. is like not great but you overcame but i overcame and that's because if you look at the the and i'm this I, this is me bragging i guess but if you look at like the last 15 picks, you look at the last 15 picks of my draft it's like and so 15 so like after uh, what uh, t- uh, 180. So like starting around pick 200, you know I'm going Carlos Santana, yeah. career year. Marcus Semyon, career, career year. Marcus Semyon. Brett Gardner went 2010. DJ LeMayhew, um, Jeff McNeil. Like I'm Domingo Herman. I'm firing on all <laughs> cylinders here, yeah. and it's partly because um, you know I didn't do as good of a job this year as. I have in the past of familiarizing myself with everyone, but I knew enough guys in the late rounds that I liked to be able to execute a good late round plan, despite, I mean, for all intents and purposes, botching my two of my first three rounds. I mean, Bregman was my my second round, but like, I Carrasco, Carrasco, I'm sorry, was was bad for a month and I lost him. Yeah, and I dealt. I literally endured. Jose Ramirez for four months and couldn't afford to even take him out of my lineup lest yeah. he lest he come back, which he did. So like, you know, it's one of those things, but like, you know, you have to have it's it's more than just you your margin of error is wider at the beginning of the draft because so many guys are good yeah. that you can like you can make a misstep and unless a guy gets injured, which is really out of your control, you probably won't be hurt too much by it but like mm. in the late rounds of draft if you can find a ton of profit on guys who are dirt cheap 
you can you can win leagues that way too. So like there's it's definitely not the sexiest way to roster Cole Calhoun and Brett Gardner and John Birdie and uh John Birdie and uh Kevin Newman. Somebody's like, gotta write a song, the John Birdie Blues or something like that. I don't know, but like my, my outfield was horrid by the time that, that season was done and it was a top uh seventy five team in online championship. And again, this is not really bragging as much as it just kind of like really reinforcing the fact that like you need to be just and again you don't need to do it for every player but like really just try to to make sure that you know who's left at the at the remaining rounds and like what they can provide for you because it literally saved my season this year because my my draft strategy was so bad so yeah no i i think that that is like i think that's sage advice because i do think i don't think you win your uh, you don't win those drafts with those first few picks um, you, uh, you definitely, you know, getting that value towards the end of drafts is absolutely, uh, is absolutely key. And one of the things that I notice in, in a lot of those picks that you mentioned, like there's definitely a, a profile there of guys, right? You have, uh, you mentioned Marcus Semien, you mentioned Jeff McNeil, you mentioned Brett Gardner. I mean, even Carlos Santana, like he is not a contact superstar, but he's actually a really good contact guy, low K rate for a power hitter. So in that draft in particular, was that a particular like type of player that you were looking for in that instance, or was, did it just end up that way? So those are just and all... speed, <laughs> and they have yeah, some speed, yeah, right? Yeah, some speed, yeah. Um, I mean, those are just so there, there's a, a variety of guys. I mean, McNeil, McNeil's my breakout guy. Carlos Santana has always been my late round rock because he's always underrated. He always compiles like 660 plate appearances, so he's like a lock. He's I mean, literally a rock. Yeah, yeah. He, I mean, like, and you know, injuries can happen to anyone, but they haven't happened to him yet. He's been just invincible. So, like, he's always a good source of late round value. And I knew guys that, like, you know, other guys I got luckier on, but like Semyon, Calhoun, Gardner, like, even if they didn't break out, would still be profit guys if they got four hundred fifty or five hundred plate appearances. You know, just guys who are like, who are afterthoughts, who just don't mm. have sexy profiles, but still provide plenty of value like that's just it's such a it's such a chamberlain strategy um but it works like it and it definitely worked this year and like again i'm not going to say that like i knew carlos santana was going to break out at like age 34 <laughs> but even if he didn't you know he was still a lock for like 24 home runs a 260 average and like 160 runs in rbis you know um so it's just kind of like it's one of those things where you just you just need to be cognizant of like Playing time situations and skill sets, you know, Semyon was going to play every day. Gardner, people thought he was going to get crowded out of the outfield. Um, and, uh, you know, you can think of other situations where, like, maybe our group think was just a little miscalibrated because, like, Gardner's on contract and, like, not actually that bad. And McNeil's really good and the Mets suck, but, like, they should still be playing him. And Semyon's going to play every day and Calhoun's going to play every day. And it's just, like, I think sometimes we get, like, too far in our own heads. Mm. You know, just that's what I mean. Like, got to simplify. Like, I just, sometimes if I'm thinking too hard about things, you just, like, miss, you miss the easy things, too. So. Definitely. I don't know. No, some, uh, some very good, uh, uh, some sage advice there. Um, okay, now we have, uh, we have alluded to it a couple times, and you talked about it briefly, but we're going to have a chance to talk a little bit more about it. And this is uh, an amazing tool that you've developed which is your uh, your pitch leaderboards, um, and so can you share in a little bit more depth, um, you know uh, what the tool is, 
where you can go about finding it, and then what you think the best utilization of it is. Because there's a ton of data there, and you could go in a lot of different directions. So what do you find yourself doing with it? So the I'll answer the second question first, which is if you want to find it, you can go on my Twitter account. And again, that's Dolph Haldhagen. Um, but like in the in the uh, in like the bio of everyone's Twitter account, you, some people do and some people don't have a link. I think you have a link because you have a blog. Mm-hmm. Um, I put the link to the the pitch leaderboard. Um, it's not it's not worth reciting. It's it's hosted on Tableau's public website, so it's like public.tableau.com/profile/blah/blah/blah. It's really long. You can find it that way. I don't know if you can Google it. Maybe I've never tried Googling it, so maybe you can Google it. I'm um, I'm gonna try to Google it right now while you're right t- while you're explaining it to us. So. Um, the kind of the purpose behind me, me making it was, um, I, so one, I, I wanted a, an easier place to like be able to sort and, and filter and just kind of like be able to compare side by side pitches from a, def, a bunch of different players all at one time, which is something that you can kind of do on the baseball prospectus website. They do, they do have like a very old pitch FX leaderboard that doesn't have much functionality to it, but you can like compare all sliders at once or all or all fastballs at once. And you can even split it up by handedness mm. by month. Like this is kind of like maybe like the, the, the genesis of like how I thought mine might function in combination with Fangraphs leaderboards, which just has like, you know, a bunch of different stats thrown all at once. Um, the other, like the other kind of like uh, reason for making this was um, I think the baseball savant website's really hard to use, mm. and I don't want to like go on record denouncing it because I think they do a really uh, you know the Statcast guys and baseball savant Darren Wilman whatever they do a lot of great work so like it's not any knock on them but like the user interface on savant mm-hmm. is um, is legit awful. The, the search functionality is tough. It's really bad, frankly. So like I you know and I if it's hard for me. And I, again, like, I'm not like, it's not like a, a self-congratulatory thing, but like, if it's hard for someone like me who does research a lot, it's going to be really hard for someone who is like a, a lay person in fantasy baseball who like just wants to do something normal or simple and totally. can't because there's just so much going on and it's so difficult to use. So what I wanted to do was like pull all the StatCast data and turn it into like a Fangraph style leaderboard, which is just, it, for me, it's more intuitive. And I think for for anyone who's listening to this, they already use Fangraphs, I'm sure. So, like, you know what that leaderboard looks like. I just kind of want to, like, replicate that. But having, but using StatCast data and then having versions of those leaderboards where you could look at individual pitches from, from, from pitchers and look at, you know, Garrett Cole's fastball next to Max Scherzer's fastball next to uh, Carlos Carrasco's changeup or something. You know, you can just, like, compare any number of different pitches based on any number of different specifications whether that's swinging strike rate whether that's uh woba allowed whether that's uh like movement or velocity you know you can you there's there's other different kinds of ways to be able to filter this stuff um so i just wanted to be able to like use the stack as data and provide it in a way that's like easily digestible for people Mm. and easy to use um so that was the whole goal um, and honestly, the thing that I use most from it, not the leaderboard itself, although I do use the leaderboard itself, but I actually use the splits tab a lot. Mm. Um, because if you go to the splits tab, um, it's more like just a player profile page. So like if you go to a leaderboard, um, it'll have all the different metrics for a whole bunch of different pitches at once, but splits tab, 
is basically a player profile, mm. and you can pitch. I'm sorry, pitch. You can pick a player. Right now, I have it on you, Darvish, and I did that deliberately. The, the, the default is you, Darvish. Yeah. But if you go to like Aaron Nola, um, you know, there's a little bar at the top that tells you like the league averages, um, and that's just for the the uh, uh, the total pitchers. Oh so, man! Um, but then also like there's splits and there's years. So like you can do first and second half splits for Aaron Nola. You can do by count, home road, left, right, month. And then it just compiles all of his pitch data, kind of like it's a one neat little thing. So it's really easy to find uh, this way. So um, I use this tab most often during the season because I'm kind of able to see just like an at-a-glance kind of dashboard of what all of his pitches can do. But then using the splits, like month splits, I, I end up using a lot just to see like if his pitch change stuff is or if his if his pitch usage. His pitch mix, I should say, is is changing over time, mm-hmm. and it's not as like clean as Brooks, and that's like something that I'm working on to like you know, I'm just one guy, whatever. But totally, um, I didn't know about the splits. I didn't know about the splits tab. This is kind of revolutionary right here. This is my favorite tab, and so like in the off season, I'll use the leaderboards a lot because I think in the off season I'm going to be looking for guys who meet certain thresholds. You know, like who, yeah. who has an elite slider, who has an elite curve or changeup, who has an elite fastball, who doesn't have these things. But in the season, I'm like living almost exclusively on the splits page because I'm like just plowing through player profiles. Aaron Nola, you Darvish, uh, you know, Mike Clevenger, just trying to like get to the bottom of, of all this. And especially like if you, you know, right now I'm on Aaron Nola, if you click year, it doesn't have to be Aaron Nola, but you go to, you go to year, you can put 2018 and 2019 side by side and see how his usage oh, has man. from year to year. You know, you like basically swapped out a curve for a knuckle curve this year and you can see like how even though you don't really have a concept of like what the movement looks like you can still see how the movement has changed and wow. how the velocity has changed and how all of the underlying like or all how all the the peripherals like the the swinging strike rate and the woba and all that stuff has changed too so i use this a lot especially looking year to year and month to month it just seems to be a little easier for me to digest and this is like it's like kind of like my best crack at doing like a Brooks baseball style thing with it. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, I love the splits tab. Um, I will not be shy about how much I like my splits tab, but I, I want to add more to it. You know, I want to add like a, a three, or not three true outcomes, but um, uh, I was thinking TTO, but um, uh, third time through the order and just like try to add a little more functionality to it so it can be a little more useful. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm into it. I'm super into it. Well, for, for those, I'm on Blake Snell's page right now, and what I'm looking at is the fact that Blake Snell's WOBA on every single pitch was at least a little bit and sometimes much higher than his expected WOBA. Yes, I see that too. And you can see, that's interesting. Yeah, and so and so you can see at the top. So like I have 2018 and 2019. So yeah, like, yeah. So do I. And you can see that like last year he was lucky, and this year he was really unlucky. And like Woo! you know the pendulum regression. Swings, the pendulum it happens. swings one way and then back the other way. So um, totally. You know it's it's interesting, and I I definitely use this tab. And you can see it. So if you go like one column over, you, or not one column, but like one section over, you can see that like the ex woba on contact um, is even worse and. I think I talked to you talk to you about this at first page, mm. but like I'm I'm more inclined to use Woba or X Woba on contact at a pitch level just because um and maybe we're getting too far into the weeds, but like There's no weeds <laughs> too deep for this podcast, there's Alex. A, there's a so like Woba itself has uh it attributes like a value based on the outcome of the plate appearance. So mm-hmm. like triple, double, single 
whatever, but also strikeouts and walks. And so, like, ex-Woba on contact, or Woba on contact kind of isolates it, isolates all of the outcomes for a pitch to uh, the, those those uh, uh, outcomes that they allowed, whereas, like, I feel like... Um, like strikeouts and walks are a little more random in terms of like mm-hmm. when it ends on it, like which pitch is yeah, thrown. I, I never get, I never get the K percentage or walk percentage on a pitch by pitch level. Right. So like those are things that I try to ignore, and Woba includes those things. So like on a pitch level, I'm less inclined to use Woba or X Woba, and more inclined to use Woba on contact or X Woba on contact. Mm. And it, in theory, like they're pretty similar. Like they're gonna move. They're gonna move pretty much the same way like you can see on both sides that like if he was unlucky on x woba he was unlucky on x woba on contact as well for mm-hmm. his curveball you know like those things the directionality of it doesn't change it's more of just a magnitude thing so it's really it's it's not a huge deal and they both communicate the same thing but that's like that's just this, this small soapbox that i just got well, up well it kind of answers the question of like when a when a player hits this pitch like what what actually happens, right. right? Like, do they make solid contact? Because you can have a um, you can have a pitch that generates a ton of like. That's why you look at swinging strike rate, maybe maybe instead of a K percentage. But right. like, yeah yeah, 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 exactly. Like, like when there when when contact is made on this pitch, how effective is it? Right. Like, so you know, even Blake Snell's like changeup I'm looking at right now, like his changeup may not have been his best pitch overall last year, but like people when they made contact with it, it wasn't. It wasn't great because it generated a sixty percent ground ball rate, right? So, like, I don't know. There, I, there's like, this has just opened up a new window of research for me, which I'm kind of happy about and kind of sad about because yeah, this so is going to be a ton of ton of time. But, um, but there are so many amazing and and Alex didn't realize that this is a humility free uh, podcast here at the Bat Flip Crazy Podcast. But um, we. Uh, we, I mean, this is like a phenomenal tool and you should be hyping it. Uh, if you need a hype man, you let me know okay. and I will hype it. I will, uh, hype the, yeah. I will hype the hell out of it. All right. uh, but this is just an incredible tool, I think, for folks to get into. Um, so you mentioned the splits tab. You mentioned there's also rolling average graphs on there. Um, can you just talk, uh, um, I mean, you mentioned it a little bit, but like what I love is the fact that I think in, in um in in is how it lays out like in one in one line in one um uh in one in one chart essentially both like some of the metrics related to how the pitch performs but then also like how it does from like a stat cast perspective on contact Mm -hmm. and so having that all in one place whereas with um i found myself on the fan graphs uh splits uh, pitch splits like i always have to like scroll up and make sure i'm looking at the right line and stuff like that um so just a phenomenal resource. Is there any? Are there any last uh, words that you have for this pitcher leaderboard that you want to highlight, like either features of it or just things you think people should have in mind um, as they as they use it? Because it's awesome. Yeah. Um, well, I'll just yeah, we'll play spoiler, and I'll just say that um, there's going to be a hitter version of it too. And I already sent Toby a link. Um, I I was the first non Alex Chamberlain human <laughs> to look at his batter pitch leaderboards yeah so that's going to be the new thing um it's and it's basically it's just like a toggle where you just click do i want hitters or pitchers and um and it's going to have all the same stats um but i'm i'm curious to to just like i I don't know what the answer is yet but i'm curious to just dig through it and see if we find any meaningful 
kind of answers to pitch specific splits for hitters because like we we talk about like a guy's like batting average or or even like his weighted runs created you know any any kind of advanced outcome metric related to a certain pitch but but those sample sizes are always so small in season and we never talk about them over time um, and I'm not even sure which ones are the right ones to use I'm just being honest about that so like it's one of those things where it's like I'm kind of almost like I'm forcing my hand a little bit like I just need to make this so I can go and dig around and, and find some answers or even if there are no answers at least I know the answer is that there's no answers but I think um, kind of having all of the stat cast data in one place about every pitch that every batter has faced um, not every pitch but every pitch type you know yeah. four seamers sliders whatever that will be as good of a first step as I can reasonably take because um, we don't we don't ever do that kind of analysis for hitters really and again I mean, a little bit a little bit like you might hear that a guy is batting like 200 against fastballs or whatever but like what how much does that actually tell you absolutely about his true performance against fastballs so like looking at swinging strike rate or barrel rate <laughs> against or, or, fastballs, you know, or like, I don't know. deserved barrel rate, barrel rate potentially yeah. is there a possibility we may see a I coming mean, together hint we actually talked about this beforehand but <laughs> That we may see a coming together of the pitch leaderboards and the deserved barrel rate. Yeah, I want to, I want to, I mean, I think one of my goals, I think, of this offseason was to kind of get, you know, I wanted to have a bunch of options for people to look at different metrics on the leaderboard, but at a certain point I'm going to pare it down, get to the ones that I really like, um, and that'll include some expected ones, too, that aren't necessarily stat cast, like, Statcast is expected WOBA and expected batting average and whatever, but I, I would be interested in having like expected strikeout rate and expected walk rate and expected barrel rate and other things like that. So I think one thing that we lack kind of as a community is like a unified repository for all of those um, mm. expected metrics. Like everyone's making different ones and totally. getting everyone on board might be a little bit difficult, especially if they don't want to like share their equations or whatever, but also like. I feel like just having it already made and like having all of these things calculate automatically will just be beneficial to everyone, the authors slash makers of the statistics and the people trying to use them. So um, that'll be, you know, we'll see, we'll see how that goes. But at the very least, like I can get XK and XBB and uh, X barrel up there and, and get That's something awesome. started. So. Well, and I feel like the expected, because every year, like, um, you know, you do, you take a look at the expected K rate and like who maybe some of the outliers are. Am I making this up? Like you take a look at kind of who might be outliers on yeah. K percentage. And, I did that last year. Yeah. 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 And I know, um, uh, people mention this all the time, but like Luke Weaver was a good example two years ago of a guy whose swinging right strike rate was super low. And then look what happened to him. Now yes. he's a better pitcher cause he's developed, I think a cutter, mm -hmm. but, um, and then last year it was Mike Fultonavich, who I think mm -hmm. was kind of the crown jewel of this. And again, yeah. we yeah. saw the same thing happen. And for those of you who are wondering, did Mike Fultonavich figure something out towards the end of last year? He had a BABIP that was like 119 over his last 10 <laughs> starts. So the answer is no. Okay. Um, and actually, I, actually, I actually haven't done that deep dive yet. So yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, um, I definitely check my work, Alex, cause I trust you more than I trust myself. <laughs> but, um, uh, yeah, so, I mean, that would be awesome to have stuff like that because a lot of times what I do early on in the year is I'll look at things like, okay, what is 
a guy's swinging strike rate, like a hitter's uh, contact rate or a, a hitter's uh, CSW called plus swinging strike rate over pitches and see if that jives with what their K rate or their walk rate is to see whether they're kind of earning whatever improvements they've made or already. And I think having something like that would would definitely be awesome. Um, so uh, you mentioned the, the hitters pitch leaderboard that's going to come out. And just for folks who are listening to the podcast, I will uh, include um, Alex's uh, Twitter handle in, uh, in, the, in the podcast tweet that I share, as well mm-hmm. as um, a link to the pitch leaderboard, just to make sure that folks uh, do have access to it, because they should definitely do that. And it is in his, uh, his bio and everything. And if you do Google it with his name included in it, uh, you will. A Reddit mm-hmm. thread comes up where you can like, get to oh, the link nice. yeah, right. yeah, yeah. you're you're all you're on reddit man i might i might have posted that to reddit oh you did okay <laughs> there you go okay cool, like, cool. yeah you know I made, I made this thing and you know i'll our feedback is appreciated and i don't know if anyone gave any feedback but, <laughs> yeah, uh that that makes sense um uh maybe we can check out the comments right now no i'm just <laughs> kidding um so you mentioned the, the hitter leaderboard so uh folks may not know this but you have been early on some of the great hitters of the last decade, including Jose Ramirez. Jose Ramirez was Jose Ramirez was yeah. your guy before he was a guy. Yeah. yeah so, yeah. um... Mike Talkman. <laughs> Mike Talkman is another one. Jeff McNeil, Jeff McNeil. Um, was a guy you were very into. Um, so, we talked about what your process is for pitchers a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like, what is your process for identifying um, hitters and... And evaluating them, like what what are you what are some of the metrics that you're looking at? In, in addition, you mentioned some of them last time, but just to dive a little deeper in that. Yeah, so my biases definitely lean towards guys with um, better plate discipline and or contact skills. So like Jose Ramirez, um, while young for his league, um, consistently led his league, and by league I mean like the whole the whole you know double A triple A the whole yep. the whole level in swinging strike rate like like low single digits um and 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 ran a lot like he didn't have any power then um but like it was enough like that he could hit for a high average and steal 30 bases like that's what i hoped for and I, i'll never pretend that like i knew he was going to hit 40 home runs one day mm-hmm. um but like he had the profile for me to have like a pretty interesting and high floor and my bias leans towards guys with high contact rates and high or and 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 competent plate discipline because those guys are probably more likely to stick or at least perform well in their first taste. Like if you have a more volatile kind of profile, there's a there's a possibility that you do an Austin Riley and you hit 16 home runs in your first month. Or, you know, maybe Austin Riley got lucky that that happened yeah. that way because his the remainder of his season was awful. And if it happened in any other, if it happened in any other uh, order you know, we might never think twice about Austin Riley. So, um, I always, I always lean towards the guys with, um, with the, the contact skills and the plate discipline and anyone who can do those things. So elite contact or plate discipline and then pair it with like elite speed or elite power. So like Reese Hoskins was an elite power, um, solid contact guy. Mike Topman was that guy, but like a light version. Jose was the speed, uh, the speed contact guy. Um, Jeff McNeil was um, a little bit of everything, which is why he became really interesting to me. Like, modest speed, but, like, suddenly added a ton of power and was, like, a contact maven. And this year, my guy is Josh Rojas, who got traded from the... Josh Rojas. I had him towards the end of this year. It was so-so, but, yeah. But that that just means he's going to be even under... Absolutely. ...this year. So he, he, like, 
he did what McNeil did last year, which was add power to a profile that had above average contact skills and speed. And I'm looking at him to be like a guy in the late 200s of ADP or whatever to provide potentially like five category contributions, even if they're modest, like at that point in the draft, like that kind of value that he can provide can be really good. Awesome. So let's say like you're in the middle of um, a season and you're looking for whether to believe in a player or not, uh, or you're looking for a player who may kind of jump out at you. What are some of the metrics that you're using in that evaluation process to identify guys who may be breaking out, um, at least guys in a small sample size that might be breaking out? So um, it's so different for hitters and pitchers because like for pitchers, um, it's happening like... (laughs) It's happening like in increments. Like you know, a hitter plays every game, and it's such like a smooth kind of line of performance. This this kind of wave of up and down. Whereas for pitchers, you're seeing like distinct starts, and you can see like what's changing at each time. For hitters, like my process is definitely more haphazard. I think like um, I definitely use the uh, the rolling graphs a lot hmm. um, because I'm not always sure if what's happening, you know, should be trusted if it's, if it's happening out of the ordinary, like, has it happened this far out of the ordinary before kind of thing. Um, uh, and I, you know, I, I fall back on the expected stuff as much as anyone, because, you know, we only have so many ways of telling like what elements of a game, uh, are deserved for a hitter. Um, and some of them are easy to find and some of them are hard to find. Um, Xwoba is not perfect, um, but at the same time, like it's it's accounting for contact quality the same way that like kind of like my deserved barrel rate thing is, mm-hmm. um, and saying like you know this is what probably should have happened. And again, it has its pitfalls or short or, or shortcomings. It's it it doesn't account for like where it's being pulled to or shot to the opposite field or anything like that. So it does like mm-hmm. miss out on guys who are like just yanking it to to the left field line for for cheap homers but at the same time like you know it's a it's a it's a worthwhile metric to look at um and then i do the same shortcuts that everyone else does like with babip and stuff you know like high babip excruciatingly high home run to fly ball rate or low um you know those guys are just intuitively like any of these these newfangled things that we're looking at tell you that a guy's overperforming um you can probably find that out by looking at the old ones too like for fernando Mm -hmm. tatis and i'm not i'm not starting this war again oh my gosh but he has a a 402 or like you know like a 400 babbit or something and like you just know like (laughs) i know he's really good and maybe he's like you know like a 360 babbit guy or something like something really good yeah like you don't need to be a genius or to have super fancy metrics to know that that 400 Babbitt is going to come down. You know, like my barrel rate thing, it's like, yeah, he overperformed. And then you just go to his page and it's like, oh, but he also had a 400 Babbitt. You know, like yeah. that kind of thing. Like you don't always need the fancy stuff. So I, I definitely still fall back. Like, again, this is all coming down to simplification. Like I just, the, the more complicated everything is getting, like the more inclined I am to start simple. And then like, if I really can't figure it out, I'll just... I'll, I'll do something more complicated and if if I miss something then then so be it you know like a, a certain quirk or something in the profile like I'm not going to catch everything you know it's not foolproof but I, I also don't have time to catch everything for every single guy so absolutely you win some you lose some 
Yeah, and, and I think one of the things is there's like so much data that's out there. There's so many metrics that are out there. Part of, I think, uh, our, uh, the challenge or also like the, op- you know, the opportunity is figuring out what is meaningful. Right. I think that's one of the things that I appreciate about uh, the work that you're doing is that you're generating articles that tell us what is, what is meaningful, right, uh, in a fantasy context, like with the correlations and, and things of that nature. So um, one thing that I wanted to, to uh, as, your, as your new hype man, uh, the hype train, um, uh, in addition to the work that you're doing on hitters and pitchers in the majors, you also, along with uh, Brad Johnson, write the peripheral prospects list for fan graphs um, and really did uh, an, a terrific job um, of identifying some unheralded prospects um, that showed a lot of potential in their underlying metrics. So some of the folks you identified um, before they made their major league debuts include uh, Mike Talkman, famous Mike Talkman, Kevin Biggio, Josh Rojas, Luis Arias, and, uh, and a, a number of others who did well this year. Um, so kudos to you on that. Uh, can you talk a little bit about your process when it comes to minor leaguers and prospects? What are some of the metrics that are available to folks? Are you looking for uh, in those underlying skills of some of the prospects to be able to identify some that might be more successful than we might expect in the majors? Yeah, so I think um, something that some people don't know about <clears throat> about um, the minor league stats on fan graphs um, is that they now include, and this this kind of happened like kind of sneakily, but like it has um it has swinging strike rate and we have like pull rate uh and hard hit rate and well you know i might be misquoting certain ones like it's it's not as it's not as uh uh comprehensive as the major league data but we have some of those like those good descriptive statistics that really help us with our major league analysis for minor leaguers and especially swinging strike rate um and we have like fip and xfip and stuff for pitchers too so um the easiest way to get those, um, I think you can make custom leaderboards for minor leaguers, but if you cannot, um, the easiest way to do that is to just sign up for an account, even if it's a free account. Um, mm-hmm. You don't have to pay. Um, and But you should support Fangraphs. Support Fangraphs. But you should, um, uh, but uh, on each player profile page, if you do this, you know, if you take time to build a custom table, um, like the very, the very first table that'll show up on any profile page for a player will be the custom one that you make and you can go into the minor league stats and include swinging strike rate um or or major league stats because they, they usually stack them in the same table so mm. if you include swinging strike rate uh, and fly ball rate and all those things they're going to show up for the minor league stats too and they don't normally show up in the old leaderboards i don't think so they i know that they did a lot of work more recently to, to revamp those leaderboards and they, they look a lot better than they did but for a long time it was hard to even find swinging strike rate for mm. pitchers or for hitters so like I'm just using again I'm just using the same stuff that we always do like for pitchers I'm looking at really high uh, K minus BB I don't care at all about ERA but mm. K minus BB and ground ball rate mm. um, sometimes if I'm trying to figure out if swinging strike rate or if a strikeout rate is legit I'll look at swinging strike rate but there's like a little bit of measurement error from like level to mm-hmm. level like you can find yeah there's some can, real high ones like in the low in the low minors like the in, in low a and high a whatever you can see like literally 30 percent strikeout rates for the or i'm sorry 30 percent swinging strike rates for the season so i think there's definitely some measurement stuff there but in, in the higher minors in double a triple a it becomes much more uh, akin to the, the MLB rates, so it's it's more of an apples to apples comparison. So for again for pitchers, K minus VB and GB, 
Um, and uh, for hitters, like, again, just swinging strike rate, fly ball rate, um, ISO, like, you, you only have so many uh, options at your disposal. Um, and I'm just looking for the guys who are not striking out a lot. And if they're not striking out a lot, is that supported by their swinging strike rate? Uh, and if it's not, is that an indication of, like, are they too aggressive or are they too passive? And that's kind of a, a Kevin Biggio mm. uh, kind of an example where like, super he has passive. a low, low swinging strike rate but super high walk rates. And strikeout rates is kind of an indication of he's got good contact skills, but he's very passive. He has a really low swing rate. So, um, so uh, yeah, so just kind of using that information and piece together a good idea of what's happening, but ultimately looking for guys who are, especially for hitters, like minimizing that gap between strikeouts and walks, for pitchers maximizing mm-hmm. it, obviously. Yeah. Um, oops. And, uh, and, uh, and then power and power and or speed for the hitters and for the pitchers. Like, not necessarily ground balls is critical, but like obviously ground ball pitchers are, are interesting, especially in this context of home runs on every friggin' batted ball. <laughs> Except for in the playoffs, apparently. Which yeah. we don't have to get into, but you know. Um, That'll complicate things more than we ever wanted it to. So, uh, yeah, and then uh, Jordan Alvarez just struck out uh, again. Oh, yeah, I, I haven't I haven't been watching everything, but do you um, do you use uh, WRC plus and uh, FIP? I believe are on the leaderboards there. Do you use those in for your minor league stats? Yeah, I do, and they um, I definitely use WRC plus for hitters because I will look at a line and sometimes like it just doesn't occur to me immediately like what um what the total production is and and sometimes I will ignore things like batting average because like if you look at Biggio's batting average in the minors it was really low um which is like kind of a precursor for his current profile and that's not necessarily a bad thing but it just there is some truth to it and there's so there's a Jake Bowers lesson to be learned there in terms of his low batting averages or just not very good batting averages in the minors. <laughs> Jake so, Bowers, yeah, yeah. So. Ah, painful. So the the 2019 se- season ended a little less than a month ago, but a lot of folks are still digesting what took place and how it might influence drafts uh, next year in 2020. It's unbelievable that we're in the year 2020, almost. Mm-hmm. Uh, looking back at 2019, what are the, some of the things that stuck out about the past season, lessons learned, trends, particular players, um, that you think are relevant to 2020 drafts? So I three things come to mind immediately. The first thing is this issue with the ball in the playoffs and I really don't want to like even begin I mentioned this before I don't I really don't want to even begin to think about what the implications are of that um I don't you know I'm going to ask you about that now right I got to ask you about it (laughs) but but I think I think it kind of ties into the third thing I want to mention um the second thing is um I think there are guys like Jeff McNeil and like Kevin Newman and David Fletcher who are so different in terms of the value that they provide in this like specific context with the power. Um, I mean, Jeff McNeil hit a lot of home runs this year, but uh, this game is tied. Oh, oh, off the wall. Oh, oh Tucker was, was Tucker, watching it. He... Oh, oh, no, he was tagging. Whew. 
So if that was the uh, regular ball, that was out. Yeah, that was definitely a home run with the regular ball. It's like it. it's like they knew we're watching the game. It's in the bottom <laughs> of the eighth inning. It's now five to four. Yeah. Runner on second, one out, and there was a near home run that yeah definitely would have been out. With the um, ball. Yeah, George Springer is good. He watched it. He watched it like it was a home run. He's like, please, 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 no. Yeah. And actually, if it was a foot to the right. Oh. Oh, actually, it went Eaton, off of Eaton's glove. Eaton really should have caught it. Probably. Uh, yep. come, come here for the fantasy baseball talk. <laughs> Stay for the play-by-play announcing of a game that you are not watching. Yeah, or probably already watched. <laughs> or already watched. Um, exactly. Relive the moments. If it hits the leather, you should catch it. Anyway, anyway. Um, so Eaton should have caught it. So, um... So there's these like these these guys whose profiles are like so antithetical to like what's happening, like Fletcher and like just like not a lot happening, but like high average, high contact, like these guys that have sneaky value. Hmm. I think like I not not McNeil anymore, but I think like a lot of these guys are probably gonna go like pretty undervalued um, in future drafts, and that's just like an idle thought. That's not really like an actionable thing. It's just kind of something that like. I I kind of observed at the end of this season where like Newman and Birdie and and these guys who kind of like drum up high averages and have like fringe other tools were just kind of like waiver wire fodder as people were scrambling for power mm. um and like you know I guess if you build a proper power core for your team mm. you don't have to worry about it but I think those guys are probably going to be like sneaky sources of value in in this coming year that's just again that's just an idle thought but the main thing is always going to be and we'll always come back to the tug of war between power, or not necessarily power, but hitting and pitching. Mm. Um, and it, it's so like it's so exhausting to me to even think about it, and like people thinking that they're right about one way or another way, and you know it really like you you can you can prove your point by cherry picking any number of names from the mm. first few rounds and prove that pitchers were a bad choice or a good choice. And, you know, what it comes down to ultimately, and this is, like, the the most, uh, I guess, boring answer, is it just, like, it's going to depend on the market. Um, and I, I, I try to rewind it, like, several years just to kind of give an idea of this. But, like, I think for a long time, pitchers were really undervalued for fantasy baseball. Um, I mm. remember, like, in 2012, like, I got... I got Clayton Kershaw and Felix Hernandez really cheap and they were like true aces and that was just that wasn't me getting them cheap that was just like pitchers were drafted in the third round uh in in drafts in 2012 or in auctions they were only $25 and not like 40 or $50 or whatever so there's a there's kind of like a a shifting tide in terms of how we're drafting these guys and people are going to say like you know pitching is so bad and the the juice ball is so dangerous that like you should not even bother drafting pitchers. And some people will say you should draft two or three aces. And like, Woo! and I I'm two ace team, yeah, two ace team. I'm with you on that one too. <laughs> and it's like it it really like you know you can you can cherry pick it to make that point no matter what. But ultimately, it just comes down to what the market ends up being for all these players and finding finding the spots where there are values like. Mm. Charlie Morton was, you know, I I shouldn't I shouldn't even just begin listing specific players, but like Charlie Morton was a guy that struck me as a guy who could be like an easy uh, second starting pitcher in 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 leagues last year and was like the thirtieth pitcher off the board. Like you just need to pick your spots. Yeah. Um. And this comes down to like knowing the player pool really well, but mm. also like 
there's so much luck involved with injuries and like it's just like something that I don't want to relitigate with like whether whether you should be going heavy pitching or hitting at the beginning but I think um but because this is a podcast and because I need to have an opinion you I, do I am Absolutely. also of the opinion that you should be drafting aces early especially the reliable ones because the glob as Paul Spore likes to call it I like to call it the minefield mm. um but the glob is is getting bigger and even though these uh, you know, a, a cursory glance at like the top twenty-five, even thirty-five or forty pitchers looks really strong this year. It we will probably laugh at that in hindsight, um, and wish that we had two aces. And with the ball the way it is, and with hitters hitting for so many home runs, you can find good sources of power later in the draft. Yeah, like as I kind of like alluded to earlier in the podcast with like Santana and and Samian and whatever, like. The, the odds of you, like, there were way more of those guys than there were Voids and Giolitos this year, you know? And, mm-hmm. like, again, you can cherry pick, but, like, objectively speaking, like, the replacement level for a good pitcher is is so distorted now. And for hitters, too, that, like, I think unless you are extremely good at late-round drafting or you're extremely good at fabbing, mm-hmm. which I'm not, um, then I'm I'm going to be l- making sure that my rotation's fortified. Yeah. And if those guys get injured, then they get injured. Like I can't do anything about that. But at least I got Garrett Cole and Justin Verlander or something in the first two rounds. And then yeah. I got uh, like you know who's going to be in the third round this year? I don't know. Like you need like a Starling Marte type and uh, uh, Joey Gallo in the fourth and like. You're still fine, you know. Yeah. You're still going to be fine, and if you if you draft smartly, you can make that work. So it's all about perspective, and um, and our perspective is right. And our perspective is right. Exactly. Draft draft two aces early. And folks. Um, Did, there you no, go. But uh, but yeah. So I, again, I it's just me rambling. But um, I that's that's just you know that's something that we're all going to have to endure this off season again. Is that that friggin' discussion, uh, and it's just going to get so <laughs> exhausting. Um, but it will come down to like where guys are falling in the draft. Like if there's eight starting pitchers in the first round, like yeah, like uh, that kind of changes things. But like just you know, it, it's all going to depend on the way it shakes out. So it's really hard to answer that. But it is something that we're going to have to watch for, obviously. Yeah, and obviously the the ball conversation is another one that's going to dominate, and we don't really know what what is going to happen. Let's say that we have the exact same information now that we have heading into early next season we won't spend a lot of time on this but like do you do you assume that the ball is kind of similar to 2018 where it was you know the home run per uh per fly ball was around you know 12 and a half percent um do you think that it's somewhere between this year and 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 that year like um in terms of accounting for risk in your projections like do you have a sense of what you would how you would how you would take that on or or do you just want to pass on that question? No, it's it's fine. I mean, I, I, I instead of like thinking about the guys or thinking about like the the total impact. I mean, I, I did some like <clears throat> some like cursory research on this a, a, a couple of years ago, and I'm I'm trying to remember what for and where. But um, I think, and maybe some other. I'm sure some other folks have looked at this too. But I'm I'm almost certain that um, the guys um, with fringier power benefit disproportionately from the juice ball and that's just because Mm. the guys with legit power um don't need any help getting those home runs over the wall and 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 sure like some of the shorter home runs will get a little bit of help but the guys who live 
at a much lower exit velocity or a much shorter average fly ball distance, they're like playing with fire of like being just enough to get most of those home runs over the wall mm. and not. So like if you look at the distribution of the distances of home runs between like year to year as the juice ball changes, like but from twenty sixteen through, you know, twenty nineteen or whatever, you can kind of just like see a little bit how the 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 left tail of this distribution, which is all the shortest home runs, is is fluctuating, and the end of, the other end of it is remaining pretty stable because mm. the longest home runs are still going to be the longest home runs, but all of these fringe warning track shots that we're that we're watching now <laughs> that aren't going out anymore are you know that's that's the make or break, and those are all the guys who like walk that tightrope are going to be the ones who are benefiting or suffering, and so I guess the real question or kind of like the real um, kind of like endeavor is to figure out or maybe not figure out but like just kind of know which who are the fringy power guys like who are mm. the guys who suddenly broke out in 2019 or broke out in 2017 backslid in 2018 up again in 2019 like the guys who are Cody Bellinger <laughs> <laughs> just yeah. kidding just yeah, kidding he's, he's got speed too yeah it's Aaron Judge too but like yeah. but definitely the guys who are or who are who are legitimately fringy are just kind of like being more cognizant of them and not placing as much faith like a, a Kettle Marte type hmm. who might have legit power and I don't really doubt that but like his profile you know especially everything that happened previous to last year like that's the kind of guy where like you might want to pump the brakes a little bit and like not be too bullish on him and it's not like you're not drafting him but at the same time like hmm. you don't base you don't base your entire team strategy around him too just with the unknowns related to the ball whereas like someone also in that round who might be Joey Gallo or Pete Alonso or something with he just doesn't have the the average but with true power you know bankable power um, you know it's just a matter of how you construct your lineup and if you want to take on that risk you can I'm not going to. Well, I'd be interested to know Kettle Marte's deserved barrel rate, for sure. I should look into that. I, I, I want to know that one, because he did have a higher barrel rate, but it would be interesting to see if if he overperformed that a little bit yeah, uh, yeah. in terms of power. Yeah. Um, and then, um, and you mentioned, like, fly ball distance being a metric. I know some people have mentioned opposite field home runs. What do you think are some of the metrics that we might look at uh, are those two that you would look at to determine who might lose a little bit of ground? Is there a particular home run threshold or home runs gain threshold? Um, what what metrics would you be looking at to determine who you think might take a little bit of a hit with the new ball? So there are um, so there's kind of like certain benchmarks related to each like batted ball quality type um, on Statcast. So like we have barrels, but we also have solid contact, liners and flares, and then weak, hmm. um, and. If I'm thinking about this correctly, it's like 82% of home runs are barrels mm -hmm. and like 18 or like 17%. Well, I'm excluding too many. There's a small percentage of them that are, are flares and liners. Mm. Um, and in even like a, a fraction, like maybe literally like enough to count on one hand home runs that are like weak pop-ups mm. that just end up being home runs. Yeah. Um, but mostly like, I think it's like a, a four to one split of barrels to solid contact. And I think if you see a guy who has like a disproportionate number or percentage of home runs on solid contact and not barrels, mm. so on the weaker contact at where you should expect a lower home run rate, mm. or even not necessarily comparatively like comparing barrels to, to solid contact, but comparing his home run rate on solid contact to the league average. Mm. Because it's really at a certain point like 
if we're assuming, and this is what StatCast assumes, but if we're assuming that a, a player can't control where he's hitting the ball, mm. then and, and only the contact quality matters, um, then you're just looking at the frequency of the contact quality, and um, you know it's good for him if he has a hundred barrels, um, but you should still probably reasonably expect the number of home runs on those barrels to kind of fall in line with the league average, yeah. if that makes sense, you know? So, like, he doesn't have much control over how many of his barrels turn into home runs. He can only control how many barrels he has, yeah. is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah, Same yeah. with solid contact. And I think if you, like, see a guy who has, like, a disproportionate number of, uh, or percentage of home runs on solid contact, like, a, a, a you know, a, a, an objectively weaker quality of contact that might be a good red flag yeah um, I, it's something that i haven't really looked into but I, i'm it sounds I'm, like a great article alex it kind of, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's something that i'm cognizant of but have not really dug into yet because it's like it takes a lot of like data manipulation especially on like on on baseball savants so mm. it's one of those it's like uh, it's a it's a a task for a rainy day kind of thing. And, I'm sure it'll and do you have a lot of time for those? Because it seems like we've we've already we have the debut article of deserved barrels that just came out. We got the yeah, hitter yeah. pitch leaderboard that's coming on. But I think that would be an awesome article for you or somebody else to uh, to take on because I think it's going to be interesting to figure out. Because I do think that they are going to dejuice the ball, and it's just a matter of like to what extent. I think right. maybe the playoffs is a little bit extreme, um, and so it ends up you know kind of similar to the 2018 ball. Mm-hmm. Um, but it would be really it's going to be interesting to see the different hypotheses that people make for how you figure out who got those home runs and whether you know whether what what that pans out. Um, you mentioned kind of those uh, the three like kind of major themes. Are there any other? Like strategic insight heading into 2020, things that are like are on the top of your mind outside of the fact that the two A strategy is by far the best strategy <laughs> in fantasy baseball yes. and is a can't lose proposition. Yes, um, no, I, I don't, and and part of that is just because I haven't done enough research yet, and we yeah we chatted about that earlier, but um, no, I mean it's just oh yeah, it's just always it always comes back for me to just you know some people denounce ADP, um, and I, I think if you do that you're um, insane because that's your really your only indicator of market price. You don't walk mm-hmm. into a store with with a wallet full of cash and then proceed to ignore the price tags. Yeah, you know, especially if some things are on sale. Totally. Um, so it just um, it always comes back to just the the market inefficiencies, and it, it's something that I, I really can't like reflect on until I I have some quote unquote market data to, to kind of evaluate, you know, and mm. kind of see like, okay, so like definitely these types of players are being underrated in 2020. Like it's going to be hard to like pass judgment on that until we have some more concrete outcomes, definitely. I think. Yeah. And I think that's the thing is like always using a balanced approach. Like the market data is incredibly important to figure out like when you go after a guy, it doesn't mean you don't jump ADP to get the guy that you think is more valuable than where he's going based on the market. But just uh, ignoring the market entirely is, is, uh, is a foolish thing to do. And I think like one thing that I just want to reiterate that you said before in terms of strategic insights is just that focus on some of the later round players, right? Not, not that we don't worry about who we get early on in the drafts, because I think that's important. And you touched on roster construction and like, for me, that's the name of the game is like, how do you combine, you know, valuation uh, with roster construction, right? Like that's the name of the game. And so 
but thinking about later on in, in drafts, like really doing a lot of research so that when, when a player proposition at you know, pick 250 comes up, you actually know something concrete and you've formed a, an opinion about who those two pitchers you're considering are as opposed to focusing so much time on, oh, in the third, fourth round, like who am I going to get? You know, relatively speaking, the values are fairly similar, but you can really mine some gold there um, later on. One thing that um, friend of the podcast, Brian Slack, mentioned when I talked to him was actually trying to do mock drafts backwards to where you actually identify those pockets of values yeah. late in drafts. Yeah. And you kind of identify, okay, well, I feel like I can get a short, like this year it was like, I feel like I can get a shortstop around pick 200, like Marcus Semien, for instance. So I feel like I can do that, like within this range of picks. So maybe I'm not going to worry as much about that, um, you know, earlier on. Or if I have a a pick between a second baseman and a shortstop or third baseman and a shortstop, maybe I'll lean the the third baseman because I know I can get that value later on. Yeah, I, I love that idea, Brian. Um, I, uh, no, I, I did something similar this year and with my, my good team, I, you know, I, I, I went, I, I mapped out all of my rounds in an Excel spreadsheet, but I started from the bottom and I, not necessarily from the very bottom, but I, I found guys that I knew I really liked and mapped them to kind of like their ADP round and not necessarily that they would go then, but just so Mm. I know where they are. So I knew DJ LeMahieu was in like the late 200s or whatever, as a second baseman available to me, I knew that Marcus Semien is, like, around 250 as a shortstop. So, like, at a junction where, like, do I want to pick between, uh, like, James Paxton and Carlos Correa, it's like, well, what are my options for later on? Like, am I completely enamored with Semien? Like, last year, not really, but, like, still definitely, like, a profitable shortstop, even if he doesn't break out kind of thing. Like, So just knowing what options are available to you and really, obviously, not blowing it. Um, yeah. But like, at a certain point, like you know, you can be the you can be the low ADP on a guy who's like super late in the draft. At that point, there's nothing embarrassing about that. Yeah. Um, to reach for a guy like Marcus Semien at like two twenty instead of two fifty because you're you're starting to like fill out your bench. Like there's nothing to be ashamed about like reaching thirty picks in that regard. Um, but the short answer, or I guess like the short version of this is like I, I absolutely agree with what Brian says because I think that's if you don't know who's available later in your draft, you you sh- you don't know what you're doing in your early draft. Like there's yeah. just like you have that means you're just not you're not thinking optimally about like w- how your your roster could flesh out as you get to the draft. Then you're making more snap decisions in later rounds, and especially if you don't know everything about everyone, um, those snap decisions could be uh, fatal flaws. So definitely, I love that. That is. Uh... That is uh, an incredibly succinct way of. Oh, I don't uh, want succinct. No, like really, I think the way that you described it, I'm, I'll have to go back and listen. But the way you described, like the fact that if you don't know who's available later on in the drafts that you're targeting, like that in and of itself is a flaw in your roster construction, right? Yes, because if I you're just if you're building from the I don't know top up or whatever it is, like. Like, like you don't even know what you're filling it in with. So how do you know whether you're going to be able to fill in those holes that still remain in your team? Right. So uh, I think that's a, that is a, that is a brilliant analysis, if I don't say so oh, myself, because I know you geez. won't. Oh, geez. I, I know you won't. Um, all right. So for the last little piece, what we like to do is just ask 
uh, uh, folks, um, you know, who are some guys that you feel like you're higher on than the market is, you know, right now at least, or maybe with an expectation of where they might go in 2020 Mm -hmm. and who are some players that you feel like you're probably out on based on where the market is, um, pricing them at the moment. Yeah. Um, for some reason, like my mind goes straight to pitchers. Um, I will probably be out on guys like Mike Soroka Mm, um, Dakota Hudson. controversial Dakota Hudson people definitely. love their their Soroka uh yeah well you know I mean Atlanta's got a trap play every year uh, last, year's, <laughs> last year's full Ooh, team. you hear heard it no, here I'm first just, I'm just kidding but I mean I but I mean it a little yeah. bit like I'm not totally like, I'm not enamored by him and I don't think he's like totally. a, an sp3 which is probably what he's gonna be in like a low low k rate sp4 maybe super low BABIP yeah, I'm pretty out on him. Dakota Hudson, I really don't get. And I think, like, we're just, like, again, this is one of those things where it's, like, we get so caught up. We, like, lose the forest for the trees. Like, the dude has, like, horrific peripherals. He doesn't really have any standout pitches. Like, I'm just, I just don't totally understand it. But I'm not, not going to single him out. But, um, so, Soroko Hudson, um, I don't know. On the on the flip side, like, it's always Maeda, who, like, in the two early mocks, mm. like, Kenta Maeda was, like, SP52 or something. And, like... He he's a he profits every year, even with only like 130 innings. Like it's just there's such high quality innings, and it <sighs> it might not always feel that way, but um, but they are, and I, you know I am am fine with with taking the hit and having to fill in where needed. Um, that's really not a concern to me, especially in a 12 team league. 15 team league is a little harder, um, and I admit that I'm not the best at those leagues, so I won't pretend to to be. But like for 12 team and especially 10 team, like Maeda all day, um, Darvish at SP25 sounds right when I talk about him, mm. but I think I'm going to be even more bullish on him because just, I mean, it just utterly dominant for most of four months. Uh, literally the third best pitcher in the game, not by ERA, but by like pretty much any other metric. And if we're not going by ERA, which we really shouldn't be, but we tend to do sometimes, um, you know, we, we again, are, are losing sight of things here. I think Darvish at SP25 makes sense. Mm. We talk about so many other pitchers in that area, but I think, like, for the first time in several years, he has his top five upside again. Mm. Um, so for pitchers, like, I'm I'm really thinking about him. Uh, and also, um, oh, I said, like, um, like, Max Freed at first pitch. I said Max Freed was a guy you guy. like. And then there's one other one, but I... And probably the most oh oh Urquidy, Urquidy. Luna, don't do that Luna Urquidy um, all day Jose yeah. Urquidy I'm gonna have a lot of but I imagine he's gonna go pretty late he might have some helium but I think no matter what his helium ends up being I'm gonna like him uh, at, at his price this year so those are those are some yeah some guys for me what about you um, and then um, well just on some of the things that you mentioned there I mean Darvish uh, in the two early mocks. Darvish was starting pitcher 28. Yeah. Mike Soroka was starting pitcher 30. No, yeah. So no, just yeah. to give you a Hell sense no. of kind of, yeah, where they're going in drafts, that's really interesting um, that you mentioned those two. Uh, you know, I uh, somebody asked me this question recently. Uh, I have a difficult time. I think one guy that I'm definitely going to be – well, one one guy that is kind of controversial to say that I don't like him is, is Kershaw. Uh, just because of where he's going, he's SP number nine right now. If you look at his Ks 
over the last uh, four or five years. He's only topped 200 once. And I just think if he's your first starting pitcher that you grab off the board, I think you're just starting at a very strong strikeout disadvantage because I think virtually every guy ahead of him, uh, I like to strike out around 250 guys, maybe with the exception of Aaron Nola. I've got to dig into him a little bit deeper. Um, but I just have a hard time if, if Kershaw's your ace. Uh, I think that uh, Kluber, I'm, I'm not going to have any Kluber unless he's like falls uh, a far away. He's had contact. Um, you know, I know that quality of contact isn't necessarily predictive, but he has been, even before he was injured, he was getting crushed. And I think he's been getting crushed for a little bit now. And, and so I think I'm, I'm going to be out on, um, uh, Corey Kluber guys. I liked, I mean, you mentioned, um, uh, uh, is a guy I need to get into more, but as I noticed, like his swinging strike rate was increasing as the year progressed. He still generates a lot of ground balls. I like that a lot. Some guys that I really love, uh, Sandy Alcantara, he started throwing a power sinker towards the end of the year. The mm-hmm. walk rate went down. The strikeouts are still not where I necessarily want them to be. Right. Um, but, you know, he finished the year with a 3.83 ERA. Not that we should look at ERA, but um, uh, he's a guy that I really like some of the changes that he made towards the end of the last season. Dylan Bundy is a guy who oh, no. I know I know is dangerous. Oh, Ooh, do we have a disagreement? Well, I mean, I haven't I haven't looked into him, and I'm very reluctant okay. to do so. so okay. Um, so my thing with Dylan Bundy is this: is he's so cheap, he's going around pick three hundred that I want to take a risk on him because he's part of the Ori- Orioles de- player development system now for a full season. I think that they work on him in the off season. What he needs is velocity because when you look at his pitches. Um, you know, yes, he gets crushed, but he started uh, getting a lot more ground balls. He has his slider, 22% swinging strike rate, 42% O-swing, uh, 77% in-zone contact rate. His changeup, 18% swinging strike rate, 49% O-swing, uh, 80% in-zone contact rate. But it's just the fastball. The fastball is only, what is it? It's like 91.5. So if he could get up to like 93. A little bit. Exactly. That's what I'm kind of looking at is these guys that are I, I consider kind of Giolitos in a way. Yeah. Um, so uh, Bundy is one guy. Well, I'll say that I don't disagree with that based on like the prospect of his price. Like yeah. obviously in previous years where we like had some hope for him. Totally. I said no, but now that he's like literally he's going to be free. Yeah. Drafts. Yeah, I can I can see that. Okay. You're on the Bundy train. I can, I can, for I can sure. get behind that. And, and the thing is, I think for these guys, I'm really going to be closely monitoring spring training velocity because I was going back and looking at Jeff Zimmerman's sheet from this past yeah, year, yeah. and he had tweets about Giolito's increased velocity. Yeah. He had tweets about Clevenger's increased velocity. And those are the guys, to me, that took two of the biggest um, – uh, two of the biggest leaps forward. So those are some of the guys. I mean, you know, I'm probably going to be out on Severino, even though, you know, he's pretty far back, but I've never really been a believer of uh, in 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 Severino at all, and especially with the, uh, with the injury concern. But those are some guys that I'm kind of in on and out on. But like you, I feel like I need to do a ton more research. And like you said, like really identify those guys towards the end of the drafts that yeah. can round out uh, round out a roster. Uh, all right. Well, we have. Oh man, we have just. Uh, we're having too much fun. We're going. We're we're we we did an hour and a half. We're. I think we're closer to two hours, Alex. Are you serious? This is what happens when you get two brilliant oh fantasy minds in the Jeez. industry together to chat. 
especially live in Maui. Um, sunset. Really incredible. We'll the sunset is the happening. Sunset. We're going to watch the sunset while we watch the sunset of uh, the baseball game, if it's not over already. It yet. is over. It is over. Yeah. Did the, the Nats, Nats win? Yeah, they won. The Nats won. Quick, quick ninth inning. Quick ninth inning. Look at that. So Nats up 1-0. They're definitely going to win the World Series, aren't they? I am rooting for them. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's a lot of compelling reasons to root for the Nats. Yeah, yeah without without like, yeah, without uh, going too far into things, yeah. Yeah, but, uh, for sure. But the Nats are the Nats are fun to root for at this point. Definitely. Well, Alex, I just want to thank you for the time for hosting me here uh, uh at your place in Maui. It's been awesome to hang out with you, with Katsu, with Luna. <laughs> They've been spectacular additions to the podcast. Um, just really appreciative of having you on here. Again, if you could just remind folks um, of a couple of the tools that you mentioned and where they can find you on Twitter, that would be awesome, and I'll include those in the show notes as well. Sure. Yeah, well, thanks for having me. Thanks for coming. I mean, you drove like an hour to get here, so thanks for doing that. Well, well worth the drive. Yeah. Um, uh, my uh, – what am I saying? My Twitter handle is Dolph Haldagen. Um, I'm not going to spell it, but he will for you. Um I again, I re, I re, uh, published, I should say, um, deserved barrel rate today on Fangraphs, um, so that should still be on the home page, probably through tomorrow also. Um, and I'm working on the uh, pitch leaderboard, which is currently only for pitchers, but will be for hitters soon. Um, and trying to uh, revamp it a bit. So if you have feedback, you know, just slip into my DMs. Um, I also have my my email, kind of, you know. It's written on there in a way that, you know, fraudsters and spammers won't email me, but you can find it on there <laughs> if you just want to email me too and you don't have Twitter. So I'm very open and receptive to feedback. And, and honestly, like no matter how small, I'd really appreciate it because really no one actually gives that much feedback. So I'd like to know how I can make it better and more usable for you. So if you find it interesting, let me know. And uh, yeah, any feedback is appreciated. And other than that, um, thanks for uh, letting me waste two hours plus of your day up here in upcountry Maui. <laughs> two, two hours of the most compelling fantasy baseball Ooh. conversation you will hear anywhere in the entire oh, world wow My yes i know hype man hype man Woo. all right thank you very much alex really appreciate Thanks, it toby that is going to wrap us up for episode 98 of the bat flip crazy podcast Thank you so much for listening. That was an absolute blast. Not only, I think, my first live interview, but for the interview to happen in Maui. Uh, and not only that, but to, uh, to have a chance to talk for an hour or two with Alex about baseball, being uh, able to pick his brain about his process, uh, some of the tools that he's developed, some of the research that he's done, which is really leading, uh, which is really leading the fantasy industry. I mean, a lot of the articles that he's written are are really provide some of the foundation for my own analysis, and I know for a lot of the analysis that happens um, across uh, the fantasy baseball uh, world. And so, really, really excited about that. Really hope uh, all of you enjoyed uh, that interview. Um, definitely go and follow, follow Alex on Twitter if you aren't already. He's a great follow at Dolph Haldhagen. Um, if you do enjoy this interview, you enjoy the podcast in general. If this is the first time that you're listening uh, to the podcast, uh, definitely go back, listen to some other ones. Uh, hope uh, this and others uh, are helpful to you in your fantasy baseball uh, exploits. Um, if you do like the podcast, though, if you could go to 
uh, iTunes or your preferred podcast platform. Uh, Give it a five-star rating. Leave a nice review. Would greatly, greatly appreciate that. Um, Yeah, thank you so much for listening. All right, best of luck with all of your off-season fantasy baseball research. Take care and be kind to one another.